This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. If you go to a a concert performed by an orchestra, you will hear the first note played by an oboe. It's, it's It's an A note. That's the standard tuning. Right before the performance starts, followed by each instrument playing an A and the entire orchestra tuning with one another. Did anybody do orchestra growing up, play in school, anything like that? One person? Atlas, put your hand down. He wants to, right? It's true, isn't it? It's what we do. This moment of of hearing that A from the oboe and everybody tuning you know, you hear the cacophony, the, and then all of a sudden you hear, like everything come together. This moment commences the concert, and it makes everybody that's there to listen anticipate with vigor. The reason the oboe, you may wonder this, the reason the oboe leads the tuning is because the pitch cannot be changed unless you take the reed out and then remanufacture the entire instrument. The oboe is virtually resistant to temperature and humidity and altitude changes, unlike a piano or a violin or even a flute. Psalm 1 and 2 are the great oboe A note that all the other psalms tune up to. When we hear Psalm 1 and 2, our hearts should race to know that the great concerto is about to begin that the conductor has tapped and pointed at the oboe, and it is getting ready. And it is a concert that we ourselves are to tune up to, given we are called to participate in this orchestral concert. And yet, just as in an orchestra, each instrument is tuned to the same notes, in perfect harmony, yet diverse in how that note is played. The violin sounds much different than a saxophone, doesn't it? Yet each plays its part, embellishing the same note. That's the Psalter, which in a way resembles the body of Christ. Unity in diversity, all proclaiming the same song. So today, we will tune our ear and our instruments, our heart strings, to the first note of the Psalms from Psalm 1 and hear it end next week with Psalm 2. May we have ears to hear and hearts to join in on this with accompanying instruments of praise in the divine orchestra as you turn to Psalm 1 in your Bible. Psalm 1. And uh, to Garrett's dismay, I, I say this word like King James, okay? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But wicked, not so, like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Perish. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, you have caused all the scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us the ability to hear them, to read them, to mark them, to learn them, and to delight in them, causing us to obtain the blessed hope of life in your Son. Word made flesh, who shed his blood for us, we may be reconciled unto you. You will not allow your word to return void and null. So would it be that that would go forth today to each heart as the implanted word, each heart being rich soil that bears fruit, your glory, each man's good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin our crash course on the Psalms, what better place to start than at the beginning, right? Don't plop down in the middle of a movie. You have no idea what's going on. While we will not be expositing all 150 psalms over the next several months, I do encourage you to read all 150 of them by the time we get done, which will be right at Advent. So you've got all the way until the end of November to read all 150 psalms. You can do that, okay? While we're not going through all 150 over the next several months, we're going to be covering enough from each of the five books to behold that glorious unity and intentional structure, the concept album like we talked about last week that this hymnal has. Psalm 1 and 2 have been termed the two pillars of the temple of praise by some scholars. To that, I echo an amen. If you remember from our overview last week, each book of the Psalter contains one or two introductory psalms that set up the overarching theme of that book that goes into the giant theme of the Psalter. So here we have two introductory psalms that set up the the meta themes, the big ideas, the, the grand narrative for the entirety of the five books, of the whole thing as one. Psalm 1 and 2 act as an introduction to the entire Psalter, with Psalm 3 acting as the introduction to book 1. And, and the reason of this is sort of an aside, but it's important. There is some evidence that Psalm 1 and 2 were at one time considered a single psalm. And I think that's a compelling argument, one of which we will bring full circle next week as we examine Psalm 2 in depth and then sync it up with Psalm 1. So guess what that means? You have to come back for part 2 next week. Okay? I won't be taking roll call. Nevertheless, as we come to... The text this morning, in your mind's eye, I want you to think about that descriptor I used just a moment ago, the two pillars in the temple of praise, these two pillars. We have a perfect example that you can think of if you're from around here. In downtown Mount Sterling, we have a beautiful courthouse that has been reconstructed because Uncle Pete Everett burnt the original down in the Civil War. I know this because my parents live in his old house. Crazy story. And in this nice courthouse we have downtown, all right, who's got a speeding ticket and had to go to the courthouse here? 
<laughs> Seatbelt for Garrett, right? You go into the courthouse, and it has this beautiful colonnade supported by these big, giant Corinthian columns. And as you walk up the steps into the front door, you go between these two columns, these massive white pillars. Today, we're going to take a moment as we walk through the front door of the Temple of Praise and pause and look at one of these pillars, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 1 is quite short in comparison to the others. It is neatly divided into two halves that almost act as a a call and response or a, a question and an answer. The initial three verses are focused on a blessed man, the blessed man who lives a prosperous life unto the Lord by what? Delighting in and studying the word of God. The last three verses are focused on the man who does not do this, the wicked man. Yet what is interesting is the wicked man is not examined in his own right, individualistically. The wicked man And all of his sinfulness is stated in Psalm 1 by contrast to the blessed man. Whereas the blessed man is focused upon, without comparison, the wicked. Even at the outset of Psalm 1, we are being called to join in on a song that teaches us that there are two paths. There are two paths. All right, all my kiddos, hold up two are two paths. And if you're Atlas, he has to do this. Two paths. Path of righteousness and the path of wickedness. And to know that you cannot comprehend the one without the other. So let us examine the blessed man and the wicked man respectively and hear what the song is bellowing unto us. Hear this opening standard tune note. The first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does prospers. The three words in Hebrew, four in English of Psalm 1, that started out give the directive of where the entire book of the Psalter is really going. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. All the praise of the Psalter is focused on the blessed life, the true life. And and if this is the, the melody of the entire book, then we need to immediately recognize that the Psalms are going to tell us how to sing along in the blessed life. They're going to tune us up to that standard a note, so to speak, not us tuning them. The Psalms are not going to tell us of the American dream where everybody gets to do whatever they want. The American dream in so many ways is the days of the judges where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. No, the Psalms will tell us there is only one way to the blessed life, one objective way, and the objective results are not what you think. The objective results are demonstrated by the concept of the kingdom of God. That's the only true 
blessed kingdom there is. Blessed or blessed. We use that word a lot today still, don't we? I see tons uh, at the auction, at the car auction where I work. Dad can confirm this. We get all kinds of vehicles in that have the license plate on the front that's got the airbrushed blessed. Usually a Buick, right? For some reason, it's always a Buick, right? It's a Buick. Blessed Buick. Blessed. We use that word, don't we? But the Hebrew word for blessed, ashray, means more than just happy. It's more like joyful contentment and full of well-being in every sphere and area of your life. We use that word blessed so often to describe material circumstances or situations of intervention that we really needed help in. You know, what a blessing it was that this happened, or what a blessing that was that that happened, or I was really blessed by Rick, or I was really blessed by Ashley, whatever it may be. We typically use blessed in a passive way, don't we? In a passive way, with, with someone else or something else doing the blessing, right? Something nice about our situation. And while there's nothing wrong with that, Notice in your text, the true blessed life is not passive, is it? Letting things come to him. No, it's active. Blessed is a state. Being blessed is a state of being. It's sought out. It's something the righteous are, but they also desire more of it. Like wisdom in Proverbs 2 Blessedness, when sought like hidden treasure or a pile of silver, will be found and it will reward. Huge ROI, I promise. It's not, you've made me happy and I'm so fortunate, I'm blessed. It is, I am joyfully pursuing praiseworthy contentment and well-being in every single area of my life. Side note. We love one another, and we're sacrificing for one another, and we're building one another up in love. We absolutely do have blessed, a passive blessedness, but we're actively doing that for one another. Blessed, full of joy, full of praise in every area of life is the man. Boy, this is going to be a long one if I go through each word, right? Man here is ish, the generic Hebrew word for mankind. And this really bothers our gender bender culture today. Ladies, let me talk to you just one minute, all right? Ladies, where are all my XX chromosomes at? Hi, ladies. Love y'all. You're beautiful. You're a part of mankind. You're a part of ish, okay? Whenever you hear in the Bible, man or brothers, you're included in that. God created Adam from the dust, and then he created woman from man, right? We don't need a separate song that's blessed is the woman. You're part of that. We good? Any, anybody? Okay, we're going to keep going. What does this active pursuit of righteousness, of blessedness look like? What's it look like? Any takers? I bet it's. Sow that $1,000 a month seed offering, and I'll send you this. 
this little olive oil drenched towel that I prayed over in the Holy Land. Uh, if you have one of those, please bring it next week. I bet it's going to church every Sunday and being on every single committee that you can be on, right? I bet it's listening to, to Brian Salve's Psalms, name drop, or sermons on repeat all the time. That's what it is, right? Notice the pursuit of the blessed life begins not with a pursuit of positive things. Next. Begins by abstaining from sin. The blessed life begins not by pursuit of positive things, but abstaining from wickedness. Church confronting us in this song, in the opening note, is this. The blessed life is not obtained by running after all things good and godly. The blessed life is obtained by keeping from sinful, wicked things first. For consciously doing this in the beginning, we are then able to rightly pursue the blessed, holy things of the Lord. Right? It would be foolish for someone to say, run, you know, act active, run. Okay. We start running. But we first ask what? Where? So what does the blessed man, the blessed person look like in pursuing the negative or turning from? Think of the question like this. What does the blessed person actively turn from to actively pursue? Where does the blessed man actively turn from to actively pursue? The blessed person actively walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You hear those three verbs right there? Walk, stand, sit, walk, stand, sit. You know what that is? That's all of life. And if this book is a book of praise, teaching us the the gracious law of God and the glorious gospel therein through song, then those verbs have to do with worship and worship with life. Because all of life is worship. You, you walked into this building this morning. You stood and sang, and you now sit hearing the sermon, right? Notice the imagery of Psalm 1 is leading us to see in our mind's eye this right here. If you walk with someone, you'll eventually stand around with them, which will lead you to sitting down at their table. You go from acquaintance to friends to family. The blessed life first requires not yoking yourself with sin. And while sin is abstract sin, lawlessness, unrighteousness, concepts. Sin comes to life through sinful people and their wicked actions. The abstract becomes concrete. See what sin is. The blessed man joins not in the life, the path of wickedness. Of interest to note the, the three verbs of the wicked life, they all find an, an exposition in the book of Proverbs, which is all about living a wise, blessed life. The blessed life is the wise life. 
It's as if Solomon, who wrote many of the Proverbs, learned a lesson from his father who wrote many of the Psalms. That's why behind the Proverbs, there is the same language of the Psalms. Proverbs 4, 14 through 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk down the way of evil. Avoid it. All right, it's not like, yeah, avoid it. Do not go down it. Poking you in the chest. Turn away from it. Pass on. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not have counsel with them. Proverbs 21.24, this is great. It tells you what scoffer means. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The blessed man does not walk in the advice of the wicked, nor sits or stands around sinning the way the wicked do, nor does he sit down with the scoffer. Does not do this. This walk, stand, sit imagery is also reminiscent of the call of obedience to committing the law of the Lord unto the heart found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 7. Hear this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here we go. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. All of life. All of life. That's the great Shema that we just read. Shema just means here. Shema Yisrael. This is the, the call to worship that all the Israelites memorized. And it would do us well to memorize not only Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, but also some Psalms, hiding it in our heart, memorizing it, using a, a device uh, like rhyming that helps you memorize, even if you have to paraphrase it, right? We know that roses are red, violets are blue. Um, you know, speaking of rhyming, just pause for just a second. When we come to the Psalms, we have to remember that our English Bibles are a translation of the original language in the Old Testament Hebrew with 250-some verses of Aramaic. We hear the Psalms as songs, and we sit back in our Western critique of everything, Rotten Tomato style. Everything's got percentage. Uh, I don't, those things don't rhyme. Those things aren't songs. Okay, hold on a second. In the original, it actually does rhyme. And the whole psalm actually rhymes in and out. Kind of like an odd time signature, like seven, eight. And the base rhyme is the ninth word, which the whole psalm is kind of describing in a way, in the opposite. The ninth word is, kids, you listening? Wicked. Ready? Let's listen. Wicked. Reshaim. Sinners, hatatim, scoffers, letzim, but kiim, water, mayim, yields, yetain, righteous, sadikim. Giant rhyme. Maybe the way that you can hide this psalm in your heart is you just need to memorize some Hebrew. Okay? The blessed man does not join in on wickedness, he actively walks and stands and sits away from it. He's like Forrest Gump. You can't sit here, all right? No, he gets away from it, and he does run a long way away from it. He just starts running and running and running away from wickedness. But verse 2, verse 2, 
But the light is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man actively pursues delighting in the law of God. Delight here is really captured with the idea of willingly engaging in with a pleasure, with a result of pleasure and enjoyment, right? This surely sounds like the Westminster First Catechism, right? What is the chief end of man? Come on, kids. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yeah. That's what it sounds like right there, doesn't it? The blessed man delights, makes his business the law of the Lord. And just like any business owner knows, right, Brooke, you, you can attest to this even though Kyle's not here today. As any business owner knows, it's not just a nine-to-five job when you own the business, is it? It's 24-7, 365, 366 on leap year. Somebody needs a tire at three in the morning, Right? The blessed man makes the law of God his business and meditates on that law day and night. Whoa. The blessed man is blessed how? By fleeing wickedness, making his active business pursuit to meditate upon the word of God day and night. You cannot be blessed any other way. I do not care what Joel Osteen will tell you. I do not care what somebody on Instagram will tell you. I do not care what the government will tell you. You have only one way to a blessed, true life. Doing the word of God. True blessedness. Deliberately going to the word of God and meditating on it. Right? That, that word for meditate in the Hebrew is not this. Mm. Let's all do this together. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. The, the root for the word here for meditate actually comes from the word to chew. Chew. Like you go to the steakhouse and get a perfectly cooked medium rare ribeye and you just chew on it. Right, Patrick? Chew your food. Swallow it whole. It's not just a Oh, blessed, blessed. Chew on the word of God and mm, it nourishes you. This, this call to the blessed life by delighting in the word and instruction of the Lord, it's not revolutionary or new. It didn't come about in Psalm 1. Listen to Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Huh, that sounds weird. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Oh, but then it goes on. Then your way will be prosperous. Joshua is the book of conquest, of conquering the land. How interesting is it to think of the blessed man of Psalm 1 being in conquest upon his own life, driving out the wicked Canaanites of sin and dwelling long in the land. It's not outlandish at all to think of verse 2 in that manner at all. Do it. Hack those Canaanites and Amalekites to pieces, son. Do it. Verse 3. Verse 3, it presents us now what the blessed man can be compared to. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does prospers. The blessed man who flees wickedness and actively pursues the word of God is likened to a tree planted by a stream. The idea right here is endless supply of nourishment. Endless supply. The tree rooted here is not rooted just in any old water. It's the water of the scriptures. The tree never worries about a drought. Blessed is the man as a tree, but not an oak tree or a pine tree or Kentucky, Kentucky coffee bean tree, but as a fruit tree. Here, the psalm is calling the singer and the hearer, us, where? Back to Eden, to the tree of life. The blessed man, the blessed man, and the blessed life is on the path back to Eden. This is not foreign at all from the rest of Scripture. Paul carries this idea forward with the, uh, the, the tree man, right? The tree man of Galatians 5, through 24, the fruit of the Spirit relating the righteous person to a tree. Christ himself forwards that same idea of the tree man, tree beard from the Lord of the Rings as the blessed man bearing fruit like a tree of life. Matthew 7, Matthew 12, saying to a person, saying of a person, you shall now know a tree by its fruits. Man likened to a tree is one of the fundamental metaphors of Scripture. Why is that? Why is that? Because God wants us to never lose fact that we fell at a tree and thus we become what we worship. And yet, perfect providence of the 16th question. Yet, we were redeemed where we fell at a tree, a splintery cross. Thus, we become what we worship like the sun. Right? Verse 3. It cannot be detached from verses 1 and 2. The blessed man flees sin clings to the word of God, chews on it like it's a big old juicy steak, making it the center of his being. So the scriptures are presented subtly as the stream, the, the nourishing source of life for the blessed man. The blessed man bears fruit. Oh, planted on by the stream of the scriptures. And notice the fruit is, is bore in its proper season. A time for everything, as Ecclesiastes would teach us. The blessed man does not wither because he is planted by the never-ending stream of God's word. And guess what that means? Everything that he does. He prospers well. Good success. You know, so often we come to the wisdom literature, like the Psalter, the Psalms, or Proverbs, and we treat wisdom literature in this kind of truncated fashion, like it's all, it's all poetic and it's all proverbial with no promise. That's really foolish, actually. The blessed man here is said to prosper in all that he does, not because he's a go-getter, not because he read Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, not because he listens to all the, the talking heads of, of just taking dominion and all these things, of, with, detached from the Word of God, 
like he's the little engine that could. He's a self-made man, right? No. What is causing the blessed man to prosper in all he does? Himself? No. The fact that he is planted by the never-ending, nurturing current of the word of God, which causes the blessed man to bear much fruit in season. Righteous. That's a guarantee, actually. It's not a, well, maybe. It is a guarantee. If you plant your life upon the scriptures, they will nourish you and you will prosper. What does it mean to prosper? Does it mean that the Lord's going to give you that Lexus every day that you want? No. You prosper the true, unending, eternal life. The opposite of eternal life is this. Verse 4. It is also a guarantee. The wicked are not so, but like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked do not prosper. The wicked do not meditate upon the law of the Lord. The wicked are not concerned with the way of righteous. They want to do their own thing. It's interesting that the psalm likens the wicked to chaff here. You know, we no longer live in an agrarian society that's, you know, agricultural-centered. So this simile kind of goes lost on us. At the at the men's bonfire, uh, Papaw and Rick and and... Greg, we're talking about, and Jacob a little bit, talking about hanging backer back in the day, right? The backer. So you all remember, I'm sure you saw a lot of wheat fields. You've seen wheat fields before, you aged and mature men, right? What is chaff? Chaff is not fruit. Chaff is the husk of the grain plant. Don't miss what the psalm is saying right here. Don't miss what the psalm is saying. The wicked often look like they are bearing fruit and prospering, but in the end are proven unstable, are proven to be unfruitful and blown away. Chaff is the husk, the shell of the grain. <gasps> look, it's going to bear fruit, but then the chaff is blown away. The word chaff here, is, is used in Job 21 for straw. Job 21, straw. So the symbolism goes even further. It's not just chaff. It's not just a little husk. It's being pointed forward like this. The wicked are scorched. They are dried out. They are blown away compared to the blessed who are rooted, who are nourished, and who prosper. See the contrast? Do you plant straw or hay? Like, oh, I'm going to go plant some hay. No. Hay is just dead, dried grass. Again, the wicked so often seem to be living prosperously in prosperity, but in the end, they will be left dried out in the sun of fiery judgment. And that's what verses 5 and 6 are all about. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked shall not stand in the judgment, 
That does not mean that they will not be judged. No, all men shall be judged in the end as either righteous or wicked, sheep or goats. This means the wicked will be like the chaff. They will be like the straw mowed down by the judgment of God while the righteous still stand as that mighty tree rooted in the promise of the scriptures. The word stand here in Hebrew is not the same one of of verse 1 concerning the blessed man, not standing in the way of sinners. The the word for stand here in verse 5 in the original language is perfect. And I don't know why our translators, the ESV, didn't go this route. It means to come to fruition. How perfect is that in context? They will not come to fruition in the judgment, in the final judgment. The wicked won't have a chance to all of a sudden bear fruit. Oh, 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 okay, all right, I'll I'll start bearing fruit now. Or to repent and start asking for that stream. Oh, you're right, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry, Jesus. I see the white throne. Can I have something to drink now? No, they shall be given the wind, blown into the fiery oven of hell for all eternity. Same idea of not bearing fruit is said for sinners who are in the congregation of the righteous. Notice that? The psalm states that there will be sinners. There will be sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And not just the the Sunday school answer of, well, we've all sinned. These are those who will deceive themselves and try to connect themselves to the vine, but will not bear fruit and will be cast into the fire. The whole idea of the psalm is nicely summed up in verse 6. God is with the path of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, it will perish. Will perish. This isn't to say that God is unaware of the path of wickedness. This simply implies God's path is the path of righteousness. He does not walk down the path of wickedness. Both roads lead to different destinations. So what do we do with all this? Y'all realize we have read Psalm 1 twice this morning and sang it once, and we sang it last week. What do we do with this? I mean, it, it should be readily clear how this applies to your life. It's not an old song of bygone years that makes no sense, like, like an old Irish drinking song where you don't know any of the names and none of the places that are referenced. This psalm to which we must bear tune, my dear listener, is enduring and eternal. I want to give you three points of application, three notes to tune up to this morning to this psalm. The first is this. Do not listen to the worldly wise man who will tell you there are all kinds of paths that have the same outcome. There are only two paths in life, the path of righteousness and the path of wickedness. There are only two. You will have to choose. Will you continue in your sin? Will you continue to be your own Lord and master? Will you live full of pride, scoffing at God? Will you deceive yourself and try to plant yourself in the congregation of God's people and think God won't know the difference between an apple tree and poison ivy? Will you do that? Dear listener, if this cuts you to the core, repent of your sins. 
get off the path of wickedness. The thing about the path of wickedness is there is an exit ramp every 10 feet. And yet the enemy busts the streetlights out over top of them. The path of blessedness based in living your life connected to the word of God, being nourished by the scriptures, meditating on them. We don't just hear them, but do them. That's the only way to blessed life. Second is this. You may be wondering about this path of righteousness. Is it worth it? Can it really be traversed? Sounds, might be hard sometimes. Dear listener, I want you to know this with deal. The path of righteousness has a particular set of footprints upon it that you follow, footprints that have a hole in the middle of them. Look to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He is ahead of you on this path. He has walked it before you. Indeed, like old Dan Boone coming over across the Cumberland Gap, Christ Jesus has cut this path for you because he is the true blessed man of Psalm 1. Dear listener, you will sin. You will, like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, not pay attention to the signs. You will end up in the bog of despondency. You will roll your ankle. You will try to jump the fence looking for a shortcut, but know that Christ will not let you wander aimlessly in the woods if you be a true pioneer of blessedness. Look unto Christ, the Psalm 1 blessed man, par excellence. He did not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Not, he didn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Jesus Christ, the blessed Savior, called the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers to repent of their sins and follow him. Why? Why would he do this? Why would he just not flee them? Because he came to save such. John 5.24 Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Hear his word, not harden your hearts. For not only is he the blessed man, but hear this, John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living water. Christ, the true blessed man, is the word made flesh, the meditation of God made visible. And if so, he is also the living water. Follow him. You must, you must today, you must. Jesus is the blessed man who is your example, is your example. And he tells you that when you follow him, the righteous, you will prosper. Does does Psalm 1 Sound familiar to you who maybe know a little bit about your Bible? Blessed is the man who walks not in the blah, blah, blah. Matthew 5, 3 through 11. We'll read it all. But does it sound familiar? These are the words of Jesus himself sitting on a mountain teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They will. They will prosper. They will be full. They will bear fruit. The blessed statements from the blessed man himself, Jesus, 
on the mount. This is true righteousness. This is the path. What Andrea is doing right now is the path. She is teaching her children to walk down the path of righteousness. Praise God for that. Encourage those parents right there because they are saying, no child, you will not get into the poison ivy. You will stay right here. Follow it. I know it may seem rocky. I know you, your little legs may want to give out and you're huffing and puffing, but you will walk down this path. You will run towards him because to such as these belong the kingdom of God. Do not forsake that. Encourage them. Amen? If this is your path, you will prosper. How do I know this? Because the word himself, the blessed man himself, tells you in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things be added unto you. Point three, speaking of the kingdom. It's the meta theme, the big idea of the entire Psalter, the kingdom of God. Do not forget the kingdom of God is this. God's people in God's place under God's rule. The blessed person of the kingdom is a citizen of the kingdom. Blessed person is a citizen of the kingdom. Flee from wickedness every day. Delight in the word of God every day. Chew on it. Live it out. Bear fruit. Seek the kingdom. Prosper well. Isn't it interesting that the first psalm that sets the stage for everything else is not about doing anything, living by the word of God, scripture. You fall down. When you fall down, dear beloved, know the trailblazer. Jesus is there before you, calling you to dust yourself off with his robe. And when you make this your life, when you walk his path, when you stand and when you sit with Christ in his word and you walk, stand and sit in his word, bearing that nourishing water from him, you will see that all of life is a delight to worship him as he brings righteousness about in you, that you would be more like him every single day, that you would become a blessed man or a blessed woman, even through hardships. Behold, two paths before you, either the blessed man or the wicked man, the one who is righteous and prosperous or the one who is mowed down in the wrath of God. Christ calls you to his path through his word. Would you delight and meditate upon it? And don't chew too long if you must repent and open your mouth, declare, I have no other name under heaven by which I can be saved. Jesus Christ is Lord. Save me, O blessed man, that I may be like you. Be blessed. Choose ye therefore the path today that you shall walk. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray.